for the Agile community. www.agile.fm Welcome for tuning in to another episode of Agile FM. Today I have uh, Jacopo Romai, if I pronounce that correctly, uh, with me. Um, I'm based out of uh, Torino in uh, Italy. And uh, he is uh, my guest. We're going to speak about a topic today that's called Extreme Contracts. Um, he published about this uh, a long, long time ago in Italian. And uh, just recently, in 2023, uh, he also finished his English version um, of his book, Extreme Contracts. So that's all available. He is also available at his uh, domain name, uh, Jacopo. Um, Romai.com and uh, yeah. we will also spell that out on the show page so people can just click on the website as well as the three chapters of the book that will be available on the on the show page but first and foremost welcome to the podcast Jacopo. Ciao, hi, how are you? Ciao. <laughs> I'm doing great, how are you? Um, quite good, quite good. Uh, just a reference, uh, my name is can be pronounced, you're from Germany, and you can pronounce it very easily, Jacopo, the J is Ja. <laughs> Jacopo it is, okay, thank you, thanks for clarifying, and uh, it is important, right, so sorry about that. Um, extreme contracts, there's a word extreme in it, uh, people in the Agile community familiar with extreme programming, maybe the first thing that would stand out is the word extreme, it's like uh, how does this relate? Why is it extreme? And uh, why contracts? Right? What's so special about contracts? I, I picked up a YouTube talk from you about uh, extreme contracts. You're very passionate about uh, contracting uh, the, the work, and we just want to touch base on, on that topic. So what's so different about extreme contracts versus regular contracts? So um, I've been a developer since 1996, and I've been an entrepreneur in IT, and then uh, Along the years, I shifted towards a broader range of knowledge work, okay? So let's not to get too much into the details of my job. But, and what I noticed uh, when I was during my entrepreneurial experiences is that the commonly used contracts were somehow capping the maximum performance of my uh, companies, organizations, and teams, and even as an, indi as an individual. And so I started experimenting with different and non-ordinary ways to negotiate my agreements. And so, I mean, I, I just asked myself, well, what if I could shape a contract from scratch the way I really wanted it to work and support my collaborations with my uh, customers and, and providers? Uh, after a few years experimenting, I, I started in 2010, 2010, um, I realized that there were common principles among the most successful contracts and agreements that I made. And so since I, I was a very, and still am a very huge fan of uh, Ken Beck's work, Extreme Programming Explained, actually I just decided to, to think in, in somehow in similar analogous terms. So basically mm -hmm. I, what, the, the word extreme in extreme programming means, what if we bring everything that works, every principle and every practice that seems to work to the extreme. So what if we go from, back in the time it was like from two years releases to one month releases. So what if we bring them to one weekly releases or daily releases? Okay, what, what if we go from one to 10, if we, if we go to 11? Right. So I thought the same with uh, negotiating contracts for digital work. And 
and it worked <laughs> actually. So, <laughs> and after a few experiments that um that I've been building upon, um, I decided to I, I needed a brand actually. I needed a name to to name the the group of principles, and so right. I decided to go for extreme contracts. So actually, that's what they are. Yeah, and we want to definitely explore um, maybe one or two of those principles if we see how far we're getting. But one thing that really stood out in in your um, talk about extreme contracts in the first place, I think that was very deep. Is like contracts are because they're, they're there because of a lack of trust. Yeah, so, I mean, so, I mean, after so many years, I still strongly, strongly believe it. Mm -hmm. um, so basically. So what, what's the reason behind contracts? So we have to start working together and we have to know whether you will be delivering, you will deliver if I, and you have to know whether I'll pay or not. So we have doubts, okay? We have fears. We, have, we are afraid that, you, that we will not mm, behaving correctly. Right. And this fear, the fear of someone else not behaving correctly is called lack of trust, <laughs> okay? Right. So there is another name. And so contracts are basically a, a way to surrogate that trust into a piece of paper back in the time or in, a, in, in an email or mm -hmm. in a blockchain-based device that I don't want to get into the smart contracting part. It's not the topic right. for today, but contracts are a way by which we substitute trust with something that we hope will be enforceable in case things go wrong. Right. And what I noticed along the years is that everybody, every one of us has, works with two groups of people. There is a, a, a bigger group of people we trust and with which we don't need to uh, send formal papers to sign agreements to be formal and discuss a lot the things that we are going to do together. And there is another small group, usually made of new leads that are asking us to, for long conversations, long calls, long video conferences, long email, much, much information going back and forth. And actually these two groups are also uh, different for along another dimension, revenue and actually the most of our revenues come from the people we trust and by that, that, that by which we are trusted. And yeah. I mean, so I decided to create a set of principles. I, I decided to experiment with contracts, as I was saying before, to optimize the time we require. It is required to build the trust that we need to go to shift the, our leads from the first group, sorry, right. from the second group to the first one. So basically, how Past, rather than optimizing contracts for failure recovery, so basically optimizing uh, contracts for how well they would be protecting us in a court. <laughs> so I prefer the contracts to be creating dynamics by which we go very fast to trust in each other. And in the end, eventually maybe not even needing a contract. Right. So this is right. So this is very interesting. You're not saying that extreme contracts are no contracts at all anymore. That's, nope. That's not what we're saying, right? Uh, what you're saying, it's uh, it's more about like putting the right content together. And there was another thing that stood out uh, um, in your work is that a waterfall agreement will never work for a non-waterfall process. Um, uh, yeah. So, so, yeah. <laughs> so I started uh, caring about, uh, it was 2003, the time in May, I started coding my first 
unit test. Okay, so I got into that's that's the day I I like to think as the my beginning in the agile world. Okay, cool. But after a few years, I, I realized that with my teams or, or the teams I even owned, we yeah. were we, we were going on discussing again and again the way we could improve our practices, our deployments, our bug tracking, our mm -hmm. uh, testing, and blah blah blah. So all these technical uh, and even sometimes even a bit um, management practices, okay, like the stand-up meeting or the retrospectives and blah blah blah, but. All in all, every time in the end, we were required, required to deliver a fixed scope with right. a fixed budget, with a given quality that usually was not was never questioned, which is absurd, and uh, in a given and set deadline. And I mean, in the <laughs> lean thinking, I'm 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 taught to think about the root causes of the problems. Right. And when I investigated these problems, I ended up having often a problem with, with the contract, with the agreement, with the expectations of the customer. And so I decided to fix that root cause. Despite, we yeah. can read in the Agile Manifesto that we should pray for collaboration rather than, rather than contract negotiation. Mm. But still, if contract negotiation is the roadblock for a proper collaboration, still we have to fix that. Right, the scope, right? So when we're talking about scope of... Um, of any kind of effort but isn't that like also uh, based on your experience like uh, I can only speak for myself here and working with clients um, isn't it also like a dilemma of business agility that we have many flourishing product and, and IT organizations using agile and we have a very traditional procurement department um, and when you work within these constraints I mean legally bound it, it is a legal document you're signing it and you're adhering to certain sections within your document and if they are screaming waterfall um it is it is very hard to work this way because you do need to deliver i would assume right you cannot just say like i signed a contract but now we work agile it's like it the contract itself might be in your way um but what's your experience with that i mean um our experience is probably quite common i i agree with you usually procurement offices are a roadblock in the true agility of the of, of any development experience um still okay so on one side if i if i were the one who, who owned the company the mm -hmm. organization the one who basically pays those procurement officers to right. to to provide for a, a better for a good selection of providers uh i would be worried because actually we are we have a part of an organization which is somehow hindering the performance of the of the no. the overall performance of the organization they belong to um so if someone owning a procurement or paying for a procurement offices in, in now in this podcast please 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 question their work because actually it's absurd that the strategy of a company gets set by a part of the organization rather right. than from the from the organization itself right. okay uh on the, other, on the other hand, from, from the provider point of view, I think we have um, a few things to try. First, there is a chance not, I, I will start from the most radical, just to say that it's not the only one, okay? So I want to get rid of the most radical approach, which still mm -hmm. is there, it's, a, it's an option, which is mm -hmm. not working for corporation or for bad procurement offices. But that's, I mean, that's too easy. 
someone I know does it and they're thriving. So it's possible, it's doable. And we can all, we could all agree to starve the procurement office, the bad procurement offices around the world. But I mean, this is not realistic. I'm pretty aware of this. Of this. On the other, so a second, a second option that we have is there is one principle among the extreme contracts principle, which is called cows in small doses. Okay, mm-hmm. and one thing that I cared so much along these years was to craft principles that could be somehow picked, cherry picked, and adapted to our context, so that everybody in their own context might find a solution to improve their negotiation, their agreement. Um, In the procurement department space, one thing that I I learned to use was the principle called cows in small doses, which basically means being, um, crafting agreements that are short in time, even keeping all other variables intact. So basically uh, considering all the other details the same, we could just shorten the amount of time, money, and basically risk that we are exposing ourselves to and work with those procurement officers with traditional rules in in a smaller time and space. Someone might argue, well, but that's very inefficient. You have to renegotiate every time and you have to negotiate quite often. On the other hand, in my experience, usually the uh, the procurement procurement practices that we hate are usually meant to scale in a in repetition quite well. Sexually, they have a somehow Taylorist uh, legacy, okay, heritage. Right. And so, usually after the first time, after the kickoff, after the the beginning, repeating a collaboration with a procurement officers that. Have already that has already met you, it's quite easier and you can renew the agreement quite easily. Yes. If you have a good agreement, if you have a strong bond with the real actual buyer within the organization, usually at that point, the second, the third, the fourth collaboration, the procurement office will not be a problem anymore. Yeah. That uh, very interesting, and there would also be uh, trust building. I would assume starting in such small batches, right? Um, um, you know, you go through a very small agreement. You get to know each other. You work together. Um, you're building a relationship with the procurement. Um, what's also uh, fascinating about extreme uh, contracts is that you're really um, you're highlighting the really. I mean, we're in the agile community. We're focusing on value, right? So it's all about value uh, to be produced, yeah. and I think it's fascinating right now. It, it's uh, it's June 2023. Um, many people go back to work or have you know arrangements where they work certain hours at home, and it's more flexible since COVID. Uh, the workplace and even those things were like defined in the past, right? You would be having working hours and Monday to Friday and uh, and all of those things. And it is really, I think what we're noticing right now is it's a perfect example. Is it's about value, right? Where do you, where do you produce the most value? Is it is it yeah. in your office? Is it in your environment? Or is it is it on the train? Or is it on a plane? Or is it at home? You know, where where do, where can you produce the value? And I think. Um, if you are focusing on value and it's one of your statements here is then you are actually free to focus on all of those things you would like to do, like refactoring or unit testing, right? Because they're not, they're not part of 
of the uh, contract anymore. It's like you, you're focusing on value, but you're not focusing on the actual tasks to be performed. Fascinating. Yeah. You want to you wanna give a little context of uh, why, why you came to that conclusion, which I think is, is great. Yeah, okay, so one th three things. First, the, mm -hmm. usually professionals are not aware of the value they create. So this is the, a, a main topic. We could discuss for about only this topic for like hour, <laughs> hours and hours, and we won't. But I mean, yeah. the point is, that usually when I ask audiences in, uh, in com at conferences, like, hey, what do you sell? Code. And actually, it's amazing because actually if I, I mean, Joe, if I ask you, do you, would you like, uh, would you be more glad to receive from me 10 kilograms of gold or 100 kilograms of gold? And I'm pretty sure you will answer as a gift, you will answer 100 kilograms, okay, fine. So <laughs> for the same problem, uh, for the same automation of a solution to a given problem, would you like to receive 10 lines of code or 100 lines of code? Gold is an asset while code is a liability, okay? So basically, if, if we provide the same value for more code, with more code, actually we are having a big hassle, a, a, a bigger problem, maintaining the right. code, fixing bugs and blah, blah, blah. Okay, and this is true for mostly, most of knowledge work. Everything we do usually is not the value that we're selling. The value yeah. that we're selling is the reason why people are paying for us. And so, okay, this, is, well, this was the first point. Second point, if we sell our time, like in time and material contracts, mm -hmm. but even in fixed price, usually you, you are estimating for the amount of days that you will be working for the customer. Right. You end up selling the cost and not the value of your delivery, which brings us to the third most critical point. Mm -hmm. If we sell our time, if I sell to my customer my hours, they are entitled to question the way I spend my time. That's because right. actually that's what they are buying. And instead, if mm -hmm. we want to sell the value, the problem or the solution to, the, to their problems, actually all of a sudden we become free to use our time the way we want. Yeah. You will get more leads. Nice. It's going to be a website, a newsletter, or a temporary shop in the main right. town. Mm. Okay, okay, fine. But the point is that if you get more leads and I can prove that I brought more leads to you, actually that's enough. And if I want to write unit tests, if I want to write documentation, if I want to share the burden with many people or just alone, it's mm -hmm. my business. Yes. And I want yeah. to decouple my knowledge work from customer interest as much as we all decouple the work that was needed to build our uh, glasses, our uh, cars, yeah. our pens from the price and the value that we assign to those objects in our life. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much my pen is, I, I know how much is worth, but I know how, what was its cost when the right. producer made it. And no one questioned it. Right. But that's the reason that, that's because we don't pay the time of the workers that made our washing machine. And instead, we as professionals, knowledge work professionals, we keep on selling our hours. So right. don't, we shouldn't get surprised to be questioned if, the way we use our time. That's right. Yeah. And it's just like this is where we're crossing from. Like I think the word you said is professional, it's ethical. We are the ethical 
in, in your example, the, the, the software engineer, but I do want to go a little deeper on the liability thing you just mentioned, because I don't know, somebody might be listening to this and say like, oh, wow, we have 10 lines of code or 100 lines of code. Do I really care? Do I really care if I get the value? And I would say you do care, right? Because you might have um, maintenance on 100 lines of code versus 10 lines of code. You could say less is more, or we, maybe the 10 codes, the 10 lines of code might be very ugly and haven't been refactored and nobody wants to touch that segment. So it's a liability, right? It's not like you can't measure this in, in lines of code. And I think that is also um, an, an, an important point. I, I hope nobody is out there having a contract in places as you're writing thousand lines of code every day. That would be, uh, that would be very sad. I, I've, I've heard a few actually. In, oh. in, along the years, I've heard a few, and not only in one country. I mean, it's a. Uh, I've I've, okay. I've read about this in forums, like in by the end of the nineties or wow. like ten years ago. I mean, it was like uh, uh, people getting paid by the lines of code. But yeah. also, I mean, another uh, objection that we might hear is, hey, but there might be value in writing more lines of code if they are more maintainable, if they provide mm -hmm. with a more elegant and clear structure. And I agree, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this is nitpicking. If you want to get the point that we are making here, dear listener, you mm -hmm. can. <laughs> okay? <laughs> this is awesome. Should we explore maybe another one? We already saw uh, chaos in small doses, right? Um, but maybe maybe we do uh, skin in the game sounds very interesting. Maybe we'll we'll take that as an example and uh, just to give you know people in the, an exposure to that they can obviously uh, read up on that in your book Extreme Contracts. But um, skin in the game um, I use that a lot myself. Like for other references, how does that relate to uh, Extreme Contracts? Well. Um... Okay, so the saying skin in the game is quite old, but I'm using it in the same, uh, with the same meaning and the same usage that I learned reading Nassim Taleb books, mm -hmm. uh, Anti-Fragile and The Black Swan, and even the book itself titled Skin in the Game. So I'm, I'm using skin in the game as a, as, a, as a device to reduce risk in all the situations, okay? So... Uh, the main, uh, so one basic uh, example can be, if I ask John to build a bridge and then I ask him to sleep under the bridge for the first two years after having, having, having built it, probably John will be induced, will be given a positive incentive for the quality of the construction and for uh, somehow providing all that redundancy that gives us safety in life, okay? We got two lungs, we got two eyes, we have two pilots on planes. And mm -hmm. if we go with the risking things in engineering, we should provide with options and ways and redundancy to, to provide us with ways to the risk situations. Mm -hmm. Usually, when we have designers and programmers and professionals that have no skin in the game, they sell efficiency, which is somehow a way to over-optimize things because the reduction of cost can be sold quite easily, okay? So for example, so if we ask John to build a bridge and then we don't ask him to sleep under the bridge for two years, he might give us like uh, an experimental shape or an experimental design, new materials that have not been tested by centuries and so on. And once in a while, 
I mean, I'm thinking about the city of uh, Genoa in Italy, uh, where there was a, a huge bridge that fell down. Uh, I mean, yeah, having the skin of the people in the game is a way by which we can induce a different landscape of rift. Right. Okay, so let me be more concrete because actually, what I'm not saying that John would be somehow malicious, somehow uh, trying to 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 game us. Okay, yeah. but what I'm saying is that uh, a systemic prudence kicks in when we ask people to respond for their their actions. And right. on the other side, we want people to enjoy uh, the results of work they do above expectations yeah so that they have a double incentive to perform because actually the problem so one other uh, one manifestation of lack of skin in the game is usually that when i deliver late i am punished some way one way or another yeah. it can even be a dissatisfaction mail okay right when i deliver earlier usually i don't get any prize and so, I mean, this basically creates no incentive for me to deliver before the deadline. Uh, I'm only I'm only having an incentive to on time. I'm, I'm yeah. Gonna, yeah, exactly. So, which basically means slightly late because there right. is no on time. So, okay. So, and skin in the game is a thing that should be reflected in our agreements. I think. People working together on anything should be enjoying benefits for over-delivering. They don't have to be equal, but they have mm -hmm. to be in the same direction. So basically it's uh, it's like, I mean, for the nerdiest out there, it's, I would say that the vector has to point in the same direction, but not having the same magnitude. Um, and all the people involved should suffer a little bit of pain if things go worse than, than planned. Right. That's it. That's and usually, yeah. Usually, usually, especially in corporation, we have very huge asymmetries in which people deciding things are able to go away with short-term advantages, short-term benefits, and leaving the mm -hmm. the the mid-term and long-term harm yeah. being suffered by someone else who was forced to be there. Right. Which is, I mean, if, from an organization point of view, that is, that is, that is increasing the risk of failure and bankruptcy or right. failure in general. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect example for a lack of skin in the game, like for many offshore contracts, right? Where like the whole product is being outsourced, offshore, onshore, nearshore, whatever, whatever it is, right? The, the model, but it's basically like delegating everything, but being controlled of saying like, uh, are you shipping the right product, which is obviously in a, in a model like that, extremely challenging. But also not having any skin in the game. If I if I uh, assess yeah, that. So let, let let me give let me bring this point even further. We mm -hmm. can say that traditional contracts have complete lack of skin in the game because fixed. Right. I mean, I with traditional contracts, I mean, or fi either fixed price contracts or time and material contracts. Okay, I know there are many variations, varieties, but basically these are the two main. Like most of the contracts fall into these two categories. Both these categories of contracts lack skin in the game because in the fixed price contract, actually the customer is shifting all the burden on the provider. If everything, anything goes wrong for any reason, even 
systemic reasons, okay? The provider, the supplier has to work past the deadline, That's which right. basically means, uh, this is nice, basically it means working for free unless you plan for a buffer, which is basically planning for uh, for stealing money if everything goes fine. That's I mean, right. this 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 breaks my head. <laughs> Yeah. In uh, in the case of time material contracts, on the other hand, uh, the the risk is completely shifted on the other side. And if anything mm. goes not as planned for any reason, and I mean, uh, we started thinking it might be over in ten days, and then it requires twenty days. Yeah. I mean, who cares? The customer is going to pay. I mean, this is not exactly the tone I expect when we are talking about skin in the game. That's the point. And it, it's not going to create a healthy uh, customer relationship right either it's like if, if you're thinking about trust again right where we started with our podcast right yeah Ta-da, ta-da. Yeah. that's uh, we all go back to the way we try to yeah. build trust and the way our contract usually erode our trust yeah that's that that's completely crazy how we can i mean uh, many people might say but yeah but it's this is normal i mean it's so Common, mm-hmm. but uh, normal is a is a is a word with two meaning. Normal is is somehow means frequent, but normal also means just right. Okay, right. and I don't think contracts which are normal should be normal. <laughs> and this is awesome, uh, Jacopo. Yeah. Jacopo, yes. Here we go. Um, I, I want to say thank you for uh, spending a few minutes here with me and uh, talking about extreme contracts. I am uh, super thrilled to bring this topic to Agile FM listeners. I think uh, it's really, I mean, a, a lot of people probably look at templates and documents and, and uh, contracts, et cetera, and you're like, oh, maybe something is wrong with that. But I think, I feel like uh, an episode like this and hearing it from you and obviously you're publishing about this. And as I said in the beginning, there are uh, chapters available on Agile FM link uh, there. So you can just go and, uh, and start reading for at least three chapters. There's a bigger book in the making. So maybe we'll, that's the starting point for, you know, changing the, you know, future DNA of contracts uh, within organizations and um, obviously focusing on value. Great name um, of it too. Obviously uh, resonates very well with the uh, Agile community. Catchy. Thank you for making it and uh, being so passionate about it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks to you. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.